When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. To learn more about our leadership development and team building, visit iFlyVirginiaBeach.com. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pizzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I love to have discussions with people who bring great value to me and my organization, and I know today's guest is going to bring great value to you in your organization. Today's guest is Hung Kao. That's right, H-U-N-G-C-A-O, Hung Kao. Hung is a retired Navy captain who served in special operations for 25 years. He and his wife, April, are the parents of five beautiful children whom they homeschool. After their 13th move across the United States and around the world in service of our nation, Hung and April made their home in Percival, Virginia, where they have been active in their community, in their church, and their Cornerstone Chapel for the last five years. Now, I've known Hung for basically 25 years, uh, 1996, thank you. So there's a lot of history between Hung and I, and of course, I'm going to bias that for this discussion. Hung is a refugee from Vietnam and an immigrant in the United States. His family escaped in 1975, shortly before the fall of Saigon. After a brief stay in the United States, his family relocated to West Africa, where he was educated in French schools before returning to Annandale, Virginia in 1982. Hung is a proud member of the inaugural graduating class at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. Moved by the opportunities afforded to him by his family, Hung vowed to serve his newly adopted country and was accepted to the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Upon graduation, he served as a deep sea diver and explosive ordnance disposal officer. And uh, I'm just going to inject there. I had the great honor and privilege of being one of Hung's instructors at U.S. Navy Dive School in Panama City, Florida back in 1996. What a great tour that was for me and I'm sure for Hung. All right, a little bit more here. Uh, As a Navy diver, he salvaged several plane wreckages, including the recovery of John F. Kennedy Jr., Carolyn Bissett Kennedy, and Lauren Bissett. Hung deployed to combat in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Somalia, serving alongside special forces and SEAL teams. Okay, we're almost there. 
Hung's non-combat assignments included balancing the Navy's $140 billion budget at the Pentagon, writing Department of Defense policy, working with the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force in San Diego, California, establishing a sheriff's bomb squad in Monterey, California, and participating in humanitarian and disaster relief in Pakistan. In his private time, I don't know where you, where you get any private time, but in his private time, Hung has served multiple nonprofit organizations and gone on mission trips around the world. He and his family established a 501c3, which builds beeping Easter eggs for children with visual impairments. And we're going to talk about that. Super long intro. Hung Kao, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. It's, it is really good to have you here. And again, for the listeners, I've known Hung for a long time. His personal story and his professional story are both intriguing. They're captivating. They are, they are the typical story of American success. And, and Hung, I just read your whole bio, and, and we talked a lot about what you've done, but can you just kind of tell the listeners how we got to where we are, you know, where you came from, how you wound up in the Navy, and, and you know, how you wound up where you are after a 26 or 25-year career? Well, again, this is the greatest country in the world. You know, Ronald Reagan, I think, said it best when he said that anybody can go to Germany, France, or England, but they'll never be French, they'll never be German, and never be British, but anybody can come to the United States and be an American. And I truly believe that. This country gives you so many opportunities. You just have to try harder. I was grateful for the uh, privilege that the United States gave me. I mean, you wake up one morning and you don't have a flag to stand under or a country you're called, to call your own, and the United States took us in. So I owe a life debt to the United States, and that's why I served in the military. And for you, I mean, I hope that my service is also a payback for your sacrifice also, because, you know, it's leadership is one of those things where it, it keeps rebounding and comes back around and all the things you taught me as a young ensign came back around and, and I, I ended up leading the Naval Diving Salvage Training Center where you you taught me you know 25 years before. Isn't that interesting that circular aspects of leadership you're you're hundred percent correct and and by the way I think that's the dream job for an EOD commanding officer uh, Naval Diving and Salvage Training Center that's where we are forging the young men and women of our future. And it's an honor to do so. And I just, I cherished every single day that I was there. That was super cool. As we talk about leadership, man, there's so much, you've done so much throughout your career, but I always like to ask my guests, what is your foundation in leadership? What is your approach? Well, as a man of faith, my approach is honestly, I, I try to emulate uh, Christ in everything I do. But also, I, I take in all the goods and the bads I've seen along the way. You remember all those cartoons of the Donald Duck, and he's got the, the devil Donald Duck and the angel Donald Duck on each uh, shoulder. And so you have those two dichotomies sitting on your shoulders that are, that are pulling at you. So some of the good leaders, the amazing leaders, I've been blessed to be around, and then some of the more toxic leaders. And, and you have to take them both in and understand what drove them to be the way they were. And, and you have to look at the goods and the bads so that you can develop yourself as a leader as well. Yeah, you know, those are critical points in, in the Elevate Your Leadership experience that I do here at iFly Virginia Beach. Uh, that's one of our exercises is to look back. And I want people to visualize, literally see those good leaders. They could be teachers or coaches, parents. And I, and I want you to write down, capture the positive traits of those positive traits that have stuck with you and write that stuff down. And then we do the same thing for the negative traits, visualize that person that, 
you thought was a poor leader or didn't lead well and write down the, the negative characteristics of that person. And then we kind of discuss the positive list and the negative list. And, you know, the summary is emulate the positive and don't ever repeat the negative. You know, oftentimes people in leadership roles become who they are on the negative side because, because of exposure to um, less than desirable leaders, less than optimal leaders. You, you retired in October. Is that right? I did. Yes. Okay. Upon retirement, what are you doing now? So I work for CACI. They, they gave me an amazing opportunity. Honestly, I mean, there's so many opportunities once you retire. And, and I had many offers, but uh, CACI, uh, the reason why I went with them is because I had 250 special operators that were contractors that worked for me uh, when I was at my last tour at DITRA, uh, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. And one of them was uh, killed in a firefight in 2019, Chris McCoy. And I saw how the company bent over and took care of him. He had four kids from three ex-wives. But CACI came in and took care of his kids and, and paid for the PhD program for his oldest kid, the master's programs for his two middle children and the, the bachelor's program. And that's a company that I wanted to, to go after. I mean, as we look as, at leadership, you're not going to work for a company because they paid you well, because you, know, you can always make more money. You want to go to a place where the, the atmosphere is good and they, they give you a lot of, you know, they, they support you. And, they, and Khaki allowed me to take everything I learned overseas. My last tour of in combat was in Afghanistan uh, coming back in January 2021, where I was the uh, director of counter improvised threats, which included counter ID, counter tunneling, and counter UAS. And I was able to take the counter US lessons and turn it, uh, turn a lot of the engineering around in, uh, at Khaki. I was proud that Khaki was able to take in my inputs in just four short months. And I was able to lead a team of engineers to change the way we, we develop equipment for the warfighters. That's cool to get in there and have that kind of effect, impact. You know, you also mentioned my word, not yours, but what you, what you described with Khaki, I think, is the culture, the cultural component, the way they take care of their people, they create opportunities, they enable others. You know, my definition of leadership, enabling others. They've created that culture, and culture in the workplace is huge. You're right. We could go to these different places and get these big paychecks, but at this point in our lives, in our careers, we want to be happy doing what we're doing. And a big part of that happiness is, is knowing that we're contributing to the mission, knowing that we're making a difference with our efforts. Culture it, with my company, 35 people, slightly different mission than, than what you're working on right now. But the net effect is the same. I've got to create conditions for positive culture. I have to, and in my case, that means enabling others. It means listening to everybody. It means creating a place that they want to come to every day and creating a group of people that they want to be with and work with on a daily basis. So that's kind of, you know, my, my take on culture. What do you see there? What do you like about, you know, culture? No, I, I love it. I love it because you're, and I've been, I've been to iFly in Virginia Beach and my kids love it. And it's not just, hey, we, we teach people a uh, free fall, but you're teaching a man how to fly. You know, kids, you know, that's our man's dream is to be able to fly. And you're, you're taking teams to, to do team building or you're taking in young kids who may be a little timid and, and you're giving them that the experience as well as th the they're giving them the confidence. Yeah, you're yeah. giving them the yeah. confidence to get out there, do something they've never tried before. And that video at the end, really for them to show their friends, look what I did this weekend. It's just uh, the oh wow factor. And it, it's sometimes it's that little thing in life that allows them to grow and, and say, you know, if I can do this, I can do 50 other things as well. I can rappel, I can go mountain climbing. And then now, now they're, they're doing outdoor 
activities where they're going hiking and it just explodes from there. It's like some of the, uh, these executives that I, I've taught in leadership. I tell them, for example, some of the executives at TD Bank, I was like, don't just say you're a banker. I mean, you're, you have in your hands somebody's hopes and dreams. That could be their first kid that goes to college in their family. It could be their first home they ever bought. They're buying their car so that they can get themselves to work and get a better better life or, or they're paying for their education. So don't just say, I'm just this or I'm just that. You are part of America, the fabric of America where we all work together and we support and, and we make each other's dreams come true. Yeah, that's huge. And that's a big part of, again, my level, my responsibility, 35 employees. I have people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and then me in my 50s. But especially the people in their 30s and 40s, they have husbands, they have wives, they have children. And part of my responsibility is to make sure that I'm enabling them so they can do what they have to do as parents or, or you know, family members. So, so I, I'm responsible for their livelihood. Therefore, I better be doing my job the right. That's ownership. And I literally do own my business, obviously. But what I've seen in really good leaders are people who act like they own it, whether they own it or not. You know, they walk around and they, they act like they own it, whether it's a unit in the military or whether it's uh, a business like mine or, or any other organization. Pride in ownership is a key part of leadership, uh, you know, setting the example. What are some of the other things that you teach at the executive level that you discuss with these large organizations? I use the same command philosophy I had when I commanded Naval Diving Salvage Training Center. The first one is decisiveness. You got to make a decision, right? A bad decision is better than no decision. And analysis by paralysis, I mean, that's the worst thing. And so when we talk about the two leaders, the bad uh, Donald Duck and the good Donald Duck sitting on your uh, shoulders, on one hand, I had a commanding officer who was very toxic. He, he was not an EOD guy, by the way. He, and um, <laughs> I'll call him Tony because, you, you know, Tony Robbins, he's mo- a uh, motivational speaker. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not him. So we called him Tony because he was just uh, <laughs> not motivational at all. And the other one is a three-star that I worked for. I was the uh, aide to the Sixth Fleet Commander, just amazing leader. Uh, we'll call him Boomer. So Tony and Boomer, Tony was always afraid of making decisions because he, he was afraid of making the wrong decision. Whereas Boomer would come around and go, okay, Bob, what do you think? Hung, what do you think? You know, uh, Joey, what do you think? And then he'd go, okay, you know, I really like what Bob said. Let's just go with that. Bob, you, you run, run with it. And man, in, in a bl- split second, he made that decision that affected an entire fleet, right? The United States Sixth Fleet. And that was amazing to me that, that he was able to do that. The second yeah, thing is integrity. I'm sorry. Go but, no, okay. No, no. Be decisive and then integrity. Go ahead. Integrity, right? We, we always know. Do you do the right thing? Is it's the right thing to do? You know, wrong is wrong even when everybody's doing it and right is right even if no one's doing it. <laughs> so we have to put, we have to make sure our moral compass is, is pointed in the right direction. Yeah. And then the, the next thing I, I teach is it's stewardship, you know, like you, you, the servant leadership quality. And I think we have a lot of that in our UD community where, you know, you're there to serve your subordinates, right? Your, your men and women that, that, that are out there. I remember as a young midshipman, the saying on top of the CDO shack uh, was, it said, you will not eat, sleep, sit down, rest, or relax until your men have had the chance to do so themselves. And I, I always take that into account that, you know, you're the first one up, you're the last one to go to bed. You will, you will not rest or re- relax or even eat until everybody on your team has had the chance to do so themselves. Uh, leaders eat last, right? One of Simon Sinek's books. Yes, yes. And I've read that. It's a great book. And, and, but it's, it's something that was imbued in our community for longest time, right? I mean, my chief, my very first team chief, you know, Kent Eldridge taught me that like, hey, sir, you know, we'll, we'll eat after the boys eat and like, okay, that's great. And make sure the boys are, are put to bed before we, we go to bed ourselves. Yeah. You know, leading by example, being in the fight uh, with everybody. That's just, that's the, the bread and butter 
of military service at all levels. I'm, I'm going to come back to be decisive in some of the other things you mentioned there. But what I've discovered in my private sector life is the typical 25-year-old in the military is probably on their second or third leadership assignment. They've been through uh, leadership development in the classroom. They've been uh, what we call UI under instruction before they get the reins of power, if you will. And they've screwed things up a handful of times too. And the lessons were captured from that. And then we go on. That's kind of how, how leaders are developed in the military. In the private sector, what I've noticed, especially with small and medium-sized businesses, is that really doesn't exist at all. You know, even I've had uh, somebody work for me with an MBA, very good at the task, the job assignment and the task, but, but didn't understand the dynamic of leadership. It's something that, for whatever reason, it's, it's overlooked. And I made the mistake of, you know, empowering these people, thinking that it was the same 25 or 26-year-old that you get in the military. And um, so big, big mistake on my end, but it also, that also helped me or encouraged me to really sharpen my leadership so I could develop these, these young leaders within my organization. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a never ending journey, but it's, it's, I've seen the seeds that I've planted take root with these people and they just, they, my team does a wonderful job and I'm so proud of everything they do. The thing that ties us all together. Uh, uh, so we talked about decisiveness, integrity and, and servant leadership or steward. But the last thing that ties it all together is humility, right? That I think that's the most important part of leadership. We all answer to someone, right? We we all answer to someone. And so whether it's answering to the stockholders or answering to your, your boss, but really at the end of the day, we answer to those people we serve, that, that, that we lead. And I think if leaders remember that, that they, they work for the people they lead, I think that's the key to leadership, to any kind of, any, any kind of, if you want to be an inspirational leadership. I mean, you talked about managers earlier, you know, these guys with MBAs, but they don't know leadership because they forget that one magic secret ingredient, which is humility, because we work for the people we, we lead. You know, that is so true. And I'm glad that uh, you brought that up. And, and clearly, it's, uh, it's one of your canons or one of your foundations of leadership. But you literally do work for those who work for you. You literally do. And people who don't realize that, they get replaced by the people yes. that work for them. I've seen it inside my organization. And I've actually seen it in the military too. You know, the people that work for you can get you fired or, or have you replaced. Not necessarily a quick process, but I've seen it happen time and time again. Being decisive. That's another key point. Um, when I, when in my Elevate Your Leadership seminar, I talk about the importance of being decisive. One of the downfalls of indecision is you're holding up the rest of your team. The rest of your team is ready to go. They're ready to do something. They have this, uh, this kinetic or this uh, uh, potential energy, if you will. And if you don't let them go kinetic, you lose the opportunity and you also, you know, you can lose support over time. So like you said, be decisive, even if you're wrong, no leader gets it right. 100% of the time, depending on risk versus reward, make a decision. And if it's the wrong one, you know, we'll, we'll address that. So you have being decisive, you have integrity, you have humility. I guess you would call that the foundation, kind of the foundation of your approach to leadership. Yes. And this is, th these that's are, how, that's how I, I led and taught others. And these are aspects of leadership that, you, you know, out of all the things we learned, these are things that you kind of personalized and, and this is the way you teach others now. Is that Yes. So I used to do that at dive school. I would take all the officers classes that come through and every Wednesday they would have time with the commanding officer, every officer class. And then the master diver classes as well. Um, I would pull them aside 
once a week and they would have time with me. And, and a lot of things I, I tried to teach them, for example, how many of you had had break bad news to your guys? Like, hey, I'm sorry, your, your wife was killed in a car accident and she was decapitated and, and you know bleeding on their children for, for an hour before the police came or something like that. Something just horrific that only happens you know once in a lifetime, but you don't have a chance to do it a second time. You only, you have to get it right the first time. So I would bring in the chaplain to teach them how to teach these, these kind of, um, how to break bad news to people. I would bring in fleet and family services for sailors who have problems so they know where to reach out to. I would bring in uh, other leaders that I thought helped them out and, and develop their skills because what I wanted them to do is have a little book and write down the goods and the bads because, you know, you tell yourself, I'll never do that when I'm, I'm in charge or I'll never do that as a commanding officer. And you forget about it. So you have to write it down. You have to have this little black book that tells you, hey, this is, this is what I liked and what I didn't like. So you don't repeat those mistakes when you become the leader. So I call that my leader's logbook. I'm on like volume five right now, but I totally believe in that. You capture those moments, you know, loaf of bread, gallon of milk, that goes in a day planner. But the aspects of leadership are so important that, that all those little leadership nuggets that we capture, for me anyway, and again, the way, I, the way I deliver it and elevate your leadership is that leader's logbook. And I've got mine right here, my leader's logbook. You know, all those lessons are captured. And then you review it. You know, leadership is a perishable skill. It's the title of my book. You review those things. My, my leader's logbook every day for five minutes, maybe once a week for 10 or 15 minutes. But you go through and you review and you remind yourself. So, so you and I picked up the same habit there. Um, I wasn't deliberately taught that. It was just something I picked up. And it sounds like it's something you developed as well. Yes. And then, but I'm trying to imbue it to other guys because, you know, our, just like as parents, right, we don't want our kids to make, learn the lessons the hard way, the way we did. Yeah. So likewise, as leaders, you don't want people that come behind you to learn it the hard way, the way you did as well. Yeah, so yeah, that's I what I was you. trying to do with these afternoons with the commanding officer. It was every Wednesday night. Uh, I'm sorry, not every Wednesday. Every Wednesday afternoon, after last class, the uh, training officer would come get me, and I'd have him in the room, and, and we would have a curriculum that we would go through on how to take care of their sailors. I mean, everything from even writing fit reps uh, and evaluations to how to get guys promoted. What What do you look for? How do you counsel people? Those are hard things we did. So also you're leveraging your resources. You said you bring in the chaplain or you bring in family services. So you're leveraging your resources, which is another uh, critical aspect of leadership as far as I'm concerned. I don't know all this stuff, but I know I can bring somebody in who does, you know, we can bring in the subject matter experts and get that information to our team. Folks, we are talking to Hung Kao, U.S. Navy Special Operations Officer, retired EOD, specifically Explosive Ordnance Disposal, which is my background. And we're going to take a quick time out for capitalism. We will be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back. We are talking to Hung Kao, U.S. Navy Special Operations Officer, retired U.S. Navy Captain. Hung served for, was it 25 years? Yes. Yeah, 25 years. I got you beat by one. I was in for 26. And Hung saw action in all the conflicts uh, of late, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia. Uh, he served in critical leadership roles throughout his military career. 
and he currently leads in his community. What are some of the things you're doing in your community? So uh, we do a lot of uh, mission trips around the world uh, with uh, the church. We uh, also, uh, my family stood up a 501c3. It's uh, called Audible Eggs, where we build beeping Easter eggs so the children can find it during Easter. And it's one of those things I did in order to teach my kids to serve others who are less fortunate themselves. Like people always ask me, Hung, do you have blind children? Like, no, we don't. But we want to be able to teach our kids to to serve others that are are less fortunate than they are. And so we want to be able to, to teach them service. Really. That's, that's really the, the, the key uh, so focus of our be- family. How, service. how do you employ uh, the beeping Easter eggs? So just like we used to test ourselves as a UD text, right? We would put uh, fake devices out there and, and if you did something wrong, it would beep. And so this was the same idea. I didn't come up with this. Uh, other EOD techs came up with it. All we did was we turned into a 501c3. I, I patented the, design so that people don't sell it online because I believe that these things should be free for everybody. So we, we were able to take in a lot of money and build a lot of these and send it out to all the bomb squads across the nation. And, and they, they hold their own Easter egg hunts. And all, all you do is turn it on. It just does a loud audible beep. And the children, uh, the, uh, children with visual impairment would be able to find, find the eggs just by following the sound of the beep. That's cool. So, so kids with visual impairments can participate in the Easter egg hunt yes. by, by tuning into a beeping Easter egg. That is the coolest thing in the world. Does, does that exist on video anywhere? Or is- yes, there, there should be. I, I'll, I'll be able, I should be able to send you a video that we did uh, when we first launched this in 2012. It was on CNN, um, done by Barbara Starr. And so we'll, I'll send you the link to it. Yeah, but it's really it's a simple thing. And, and we were able to go to the White House. We did it many times at the White House. But the, the look on the parents' faces when their kids can finally enjoy just something simple like Easter egg hunt. Yeah, it, something it just that all changes the, other kids the world. Do. Exactly. Ah, that's cool. That is cool. So, so you're leading in the private sector in that capacity. So I, I have to ask you about missions around the world. I grew up Catholic. And um, I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic, you know, like all Catholics, I'm not as, as uh, uh, diligent as I, as I should be, as a good Catholic is. But missions around the world, with all the poverty and illness in the United States, why, do, why go do a mission in a foreign country as opposed to going to Baltimore or Detroit or something like that? Yeah, we do do some things in the United States as well, but honestly, in other countries where I feel like they, they appreciate a lot more and I, maybe I, I'm not saying that properly, but it's just, they, I've growing up, I grew up in Africa, for example, and I've seen poverty. I mean, I've seen lepers. I've seen just the poorest of the poor children with distended stomachs, you know, and, and just, they're so skinny, but then these largest distended stomachs from just uh, hunger. And we're trying to teach them to just even just get their own water, right? For example, digging a well for them and trying to get them just running water. These kids don't even get the, a chance to drink even a cup of water a day sometimes. And, okay, and so I they have to you. walk yeah. miles. Okay, all right. So you're meeting, you know, food, shelter, clothing. You're meeting the very yes. basic needs of for human beings to live when you do that in these other areas. Yes, and in the United States, people will, there's, there's a lot of opportunities that federal government and the local government gives for shelters and yeah. and food kitchens and stuff like that. But these people just need the basic shelter, food, and, and water. You know, even here in Virginia Beach, we had a homeless lady who, uh, she was actually sneaking in our building slightly uh, bef- just before we closed. And she would hide. And then when we, we would close and she would sleep in the building and use our, use our facilities and all that. 
It's kind of a funny story, really. I mean, she was a homeless woman and obviously mentally ill. When we found, we saw the, the surveillance tape and we saw what was going on and we said, well, we got to call the police, you know, we, we, this has to stop. And then, you know, my, my leadership team, they said, well, okay, we'll call the police, but then what can we do for her? How can we help her? And uh, they called her, they gave her a name, aunt, aunt something or another. And we actually reached out to this woman and, and said, you know, can we, can we buy you lunch? What can we do for you? And she said, the shelter, the church gives her breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And her needs were being met. Kind of odd, but one of the many kind of odd things that's happened in the eight years we've been down here at the oceanfront. I mean, there is a lot of charities we do in the United States. You know, we, we teach our kids to serve at food pantries and serve the homeless. But there's a lot of people around the world that just don't even have the basic needs. Honestly, the basic, just give me water. I just want some water. So my dad, again, uh, after we left Vietnam in 1975, my father was actually pretty high up in the government. He was a, a deputy minister of agriculture. And we grew, I spent seven years in West Africa. He ended up spending 25 years. He sent us home because we, back to the United States, because we didn't speak English. And so we, we didn't need to get American education. But my dad was teaching others how to cultivate the fields and, and how to do irrigation just so they can grow food for themselves, right? It's a whole thing about give a man a food, you know, you'll feed him for a day, but you teach him how to fish, you know, then he'll, you'll feed him for life. And so that's what he was trying to do is teach him how to, how to cultivate their own grains and their own millet and, and you know, for couscous or whatever else. Okay. To, to feed themselves. And when you do the missions, are, are you trying to, are you trying to develop that long-term sustainment for the folks as well? Yes, absolutely. You know, usually we, we build a ministry for them for hope. And then, yes, we will then do something to, to help them either, like I said, uh, drill for water or, or find a source of, of food or something that, that will sustain them for the long haul. That is super cool. All right. Well, we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, we're coming up on 30, 35 minutes, which is drive time or gym time, which is when podcasts uh, are typically listened to. Uh, did, did, did I miss anything? Did, is there anything that uh, about leadership that we didn't discuss? Or is there anything coming up in your future that you want to talk about? Well, leadership, remember, it's not about you, right? It's about the team. And I think that's what people forget. Like, no one asked you that could be, oh, you know, hung. Oh, hey, Bob, please go lead us, right? That's right. not, you, you chose it yourself. So you have to put in the time and, and, and do it because you, you're not, it's not about you. It's about the team you're leading. And sometimes we get pulled into places we don't want to go. We don't want to, you know, oh, I didn't want to go this tour. I didn't want to do this other tour, but that's where you're needed and you're being called. And so the latest uh, thing that I'm being called to do, which I never want to do, because uh, it's going to politics. I, I mean, I, I feel our country needs uh, leaders, true leaders that, that will put them before the, the career of the politician. And so, again, I'm leaving a, a career of honor and I'm going to something that, that has 10% uh, approval rating. But yeah. I feel that this is where, where we, we need uh, leaders. And again, I, I, the people that, that have asked me to do this, I've told them, Hey, listen, I'm not going to be a career guy. I'm only doing this for a few years because I have my own dr dreams and vision of standing up my own nonprofit organization to help uh, wounded warriors. But I'll do this for a few years and, and try to write this ship a little bit more and, yeah. then, and then get out. You know, that's huge. I've, I've thought about that as well. You and, I, you and I have discussed this in the past. It's a bold, brave move. And it's not about self-gratification at all. If you really think about it, for all, all the listeners, if you think about getting into politics, you have to want to do it because you have to want to make an impact. You want to make a change. 
And that's being part of a team. There's leadership involved, but you're joining a team. And, and in this case, it's a, it's a pretty large and unwieldy team. <laughs> so, yes. so that, and that's where the bravery comes in. I mean, you're, you're going into the hornet's nest, so to speak. Again, we want to have an impact and boy, oh boy, that's going to be a challenge. So we'll stay tuned. And, and I sure hope, wish you well in that endeavor. And obviously you have the support of, uh, of Elevate Your Leadership, of Bob Pizzini and of my entire team here in Virginia Beach, even though you're, you're in a different district. Brave move. And um, I wish you all the best. Okay, Hung, anything else? No, Bob, thank you so much for having me uh, on board here. Honestly, it's just, like I said, I hope that my service has been payback for your service as well. You know, everything you taught me uh, 25 years ago has, has come back around and, and here we are standing side by side leading our communities. Truly, I mean, you, there's almost not even words to describe what you just said. It's, it's, uh, it's a blessing, it's humbling, and, um, and it's an honor. Okay, thanks a lot, Hung. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com, Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com, and connect with him on LinkedIn.